listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor, and this week I am joined by... Danielle Partis. Jeffrey Russo. Brendan Sinclair. And Christopher Drink. We're going to be talking about the biggest stories of the past week. Uh, not necessarily going to be talking about Epic and Apple this week. Uh, we, we delved into that quite deeply last week, and uh, there's still an, another full full five days of the trial to go, assuming it doesn't extend. I read in a court document earlier this week, uh, the judge actually put, should this trial you know, extend into the week beginning, Mon- Monday 24th of May? I was like, oh, good Lord, please, no. Like, let's just get to the let's get to the end of this now. It's, it's been too long. Um, instead, we're going to be talking about... Uh, Some of the interesting stories that came out of people's financials this week, starting with Ubisoft. During their earnings call, Ubisoft CFO Frédéric Duguay said that the company is moving away from our prior comment regarding releasing three to four premium AAAs per year. Instead, they're going to focus on building high-end free-to-play games to be trending towards AAA ambitions over the long term. I'm going to pause there for a moment. Have they been releasing three to four premium AAAs per year? I know you usually get... A, you know, an Assassin's Creed or a Watch Dogs, and maybe a Far Cry. But I'm, I'm basically, I want to work out is like, do they are they referring to Just Dance as AAA in there? No, uh, they're they're not. But I mean, like you know, last year they had Immortals, Assassin's Creed, and Watch Dogs in the course of about a month. Um, yeah, last year, last year was officially a busy lineup for them, and I don't understand why they crammed them all into a space of weeks. I, I think yeah, they've been hitting that target. Uh, since they first kind of publicly said the goal was three to four um, a couple years yeah. ago, so that's it's it's not a problem of them like well we're missing this target so let's you know move the goalposts here. This is I think yeah. fundamentally they, I mean isn't everyone tired of like having to decide what counts as AAA and what the definition of AAA <laughs> is by now? Yes, this yeah, is true. Maybe we'll be sorry. I don't want to lead us down another. Don't want to lead us down another definition um, rabbit hole. There, um, the the comments basically were were widely reported, and it was deemed that they were going to be moving away completely from the whole three to four AAA games per year and focusing not only but like primarily on free to play experiences. I think the connection in most people's minds was you know trying to ape what Activision has accomplished with Call of Duty Warzone. Ubisoft actually released a statement later, uh, a day later, clarifying what they meant. Um, so the in a, a, spoke, a spokesperson said, Our intention is to deliver a diverse lineup of games that players will love across all platforms. We are excited to be investing more in free-to-play experiences. However, we want to clarify that this does not mean we are reducing our AAA offering. Our aim is to continue to deliver premium experiences to players such as Far Cry 6, Rainbow Six Quarantine, Riders Republic, and they're dropping, published, uh, they're dropping names in here, so I won't bother promoting further products, um, while also expanding our free-to-play portfolio and strengthening our brands to reach even more players. Now, our contributing editor, Rob, wrote a a good column on this as to the the implications of it. Um, Have a read of that. Largely, ultimately, his argument is that this is a good thing, and we're likely to see more of this from the AAA publishers in that they have been trying, and Ubisoft especially, have been trying so hard to get that kind of free-to-play style revenue, those ongoing ongoing transactions through the things like those those stores in the the, Ubis, you know, the Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs games, which I still don't understand why they are there, personally. Um, they're trying to move away from those, hopefully. I mean, I imagine, as, as Rob says, it will be a while before they wean off that completely. I can't imagine the next Assassin's Creed won't have a store. But the the hope is that eventually they will stop doing that and they will just do free-to-play games that are 
fully focused and aimed to be kind of a very high quality, almost AAA quality, free to play game, so that their AAA premium games will not have any of this microtransaction nonsense. How likely do we think that is? Um, not very. I, like I think I think they'll <laughs> be going for additional monetization on their AAA, you know, premium games. Uh, they might be doing it a little bit differently, uh, more extended content releases and expansions and, and add-ons and DLC and things like that. But um, now this is this is kind of a, a continuation of a trend. And, and Ubisoft saying it here, that they may have had a whole lot of people like all of a sudden get really worried and, and say, oh no, Ubisoft is is losing its mind. But this is something that I think basically every publisher is doing uh now and i think they've been they've been heading this direction on a bigger picture scale for years and years um but they've they've kind of pivoted even further toward it in the last couple of years after seeing what happened with like call of duty mobile is a big one and maybe to a lesser extent mario kart tour um because i was just looking at the mpd numbers and like Mario Kart Tour came out free to play on mobile. People like it. It's great. Sure. Did not put a dent in Mario Kart 8 Deluxe sales. And 8, 8 Deluxe was already, you know, a couple years old by the time the, the free to play one came out. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is it's still in the MPD top 10 every month this year. The, the January, February, March that they've reported uh, Mario Kart uh, 8 Deluxe was in the top 10. Call of Duty Mobile did absolutely nothing to to undermine sales of the premium game. Uh, Call of Duty Warzone, free-to-play PC and console version, did nothing to undermine sales of the game. I, I got to uh, January of 2000 before I just got tired of trying to find a month where Call of Duty wasn't in the top 10. Um, I, I suspect I could go back maybe to Advanced Warfare, <laughs> to, to find a month where it didn't but uh yeah like this is everyone has seen this and they are all looking to to have multiple to have their their franchises exist in multiple formats in premium in free-to-play and everything we've got new games coming for uh, new free-to-play games for battlefield the division diablo apex legends rocket league and uh, they're all running separate. Like these aren't cross-play titles, right? They're they're the same, but on mobile experiences. And and I think that's that's where we're headed because Activision showed that you know if you can take the Call of Duty brand and then release a very similar experience in a free-to-play format, in a mobile format, like that doesn't necessarily cannibalize your your main brand so now everyone else is jumping on that bandwagon no well if you look at um ubisoft done lots of free-to-play games actually but not often about their main franchise i think hyperscape was that the one they hyperscape or something they did last year um hyperscape battle royal they had ghost recons with their first free-to-play uh efforts in like the late 2000s i think it's all about ultimately it's all about stability which is the big thing we often talk about on these podcasts things like crunch and working hours and and, and 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 job losses and stuff, but a lot of that stems from 
the business of video games historically has always been like driven by the release schedule, right? You know, you needed to have a game out at Christmas or, um, or, you know, the financial repercussions was terrible. It still happens. And it happened with cyberpunk last year and, and um, it causes all of the issues that we often talk about when well, all of them, but a lot of them. And, um, and games industry has over the last five years, I don't know, five years, maybe um, tried and been successful to try and stabilize itself it's bringing in more investment it's driving up wages um it uh, means that take two can barely release anything over an entire console generation and have one of its best financial periods because of gta online um uh, even ubisoft like they can have skull they can delay that skull and bones game a hundred times and not be too concerned about it <laughs> because they've got they've got um they've got rainbow six siege driven driving lots of revenue for them all the time and also other games like uno and monopoly which never gets talked about but are always in the charts and um and you've got um uh, uh you know, pick a company you can name a game where this sort of that stability is bringing uh, improvements it's not we're not there yet but it, it's the idea is hopefully it'll bring improvements and ubisoft saying hey you know what our free-to-play games that we've been done recently haven't really worked we're going to sort of pivot onto our franchises onto gameplay types that we know people like and um uh, 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 uh and we know that are brands that people recognize and i think it's probably the the right move for them i don't the bit that i don't really buy and i know that in in principle is when they say it's not going to impact our sort of output of triple a games of course it is um because because of that ability of that stability that a, an assassin's creed online or whatever might bring is that means that they they can feel more comfortable in delaying an Assassin's Creed game if they need to, to give it, it needs more time if they need to give a game an extra year in development to let it be a little bit better or let it sing or so staff have to overwork. I think it will result in fewer AAA games, not in principle, but I just think that's happening anyway, and um, this just enables them to sort of not worry too much about that. Um, yeah, they don't. They don't suddenly have magically have like double the resources, enough resources to do the same number of AAA high budget games that they've been doing so far, and then that equivalent for the free to play space. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, they are making. They make. Fred said they already did free to play games anyway, so it's not like those studios don't already exist, and they have opened loads and loads and loads of studios all over the world, and. Um, those, you know, I think the Rainbow Six Siege development is largely not done by that team anymore, or it's, it's been outs- outsourced is probably not the right word, but insourced is that to uh, another Ubisoft team. So it's sort of, um, I, I don't, yeah, yeah. There's the resource. There's resources finite, but I also think, I just think it's going to change the way they behave as a company because they don't, you know, they can say, oh, you know what, you know, we can spend a bit more time on the latest Watch Dogs, and it's not going to. I remember the days when a, del- a year delay to a game like Watch Dogs would have resulted in profit warnings and panicked investors you get it a little bit but it sort of doesn't happen in any way in the same way now because the industry is just more stable because there's that recurring revenue coming in through service games and even legacy titles through digital now and i think that's a good thing from a business because games has always been a great art form it's not always been a great business to work in and, and uh, um uh yeah so I, I don't think there's anything controversial though they've been doing this for a while and it's just doubling down it it's also about growth as well as stability. So Rob's point in his column was that this is by by bringing your AAA franchises to a free to play space by making free to play versions, you are able to tap into an audience that would not necessarily have um, engaged with them. So again, he kind of he, he kept pointing to the example of the you know the, the free to play style monetization mechanics in Ubisoft's premium game. So 
the, you know, the stores and the boosters and stuff in the Assassin's Creed games. That is, you know, in his words, like nickel and diming your established audience. And that's why that has been controversial. That's partly why that has been controversial for the last few years. Now, I think Ubisoft kind of flies under the radar a little bit. Like whenever we're talking about loot boxes and all these kind of, these ways of kind of, um, getting more money out of people who've already bought a game at full price. The focus usually goes on EA with them um, ultimate team and stuff because of the randomized element. But Ubisoft had been doing this for years with the, you know, the, the, the XP boosters and the res- crafting resources and so all of that in there in Far Cry and Watchdogs and Sasquatch and all of them. Um, Rob's kind of point was that that is nickel and diming the established audience. If you and and that's what makes it controversial because this is the established audience who is used to buying a game at a single price and then just playing through it and not being asked to spend more money, even if it's not required. Like being asked to spend more money, the free to play audience don't know any different. They are used to getting this incredibly like kind of. Um, engaging experience straight away from the off diving into it and then as they they spend more time with it investing more into it whether that is cosmetics whether that's boosters whatever um so the hope is that this would bring ubisoft's games to a wider new audience who don't necessarily play or buy their their titles mm, typically i'm not sure maybe <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying it's going to happen that's 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 a theory of why they're going to do it i think it's also interesting that we'll distinguish now they haven't said in their comments whether free to play, free to play. You hear it and you assume mobile, but they have not said that. And there is a growing there has been a growing free to play space on console for ages. We've been talking about it already. Like you've got things like Fortnite, Apex Legends. Um, you've got like you know the big MMO stuff. But your you know, Rocket League is now free to play. Like you've got these games that yeah just kind of chip away in the background and kind of generate money and on on mobile. They might yeah they might be on mobile as well. They might be cross play. They might not be. Um, but I, I don't think I don't know how much Ubisoft has done in that space. I think that's that's an interesting tactic. You don't know how much that, that, you don't know how much they've done in mobile. No, no, no. How much they've done in free to play on console? Well, they've got. Uh, I know they've got things like the Brawlhalla, the Division, Heartland but, is announced for PC and, and consoles. Yes, uh, Hyperscape and Roller Champions are. are uh, PC is Roller Champions is, out yet? I forgot that even existed. Uh, no. I don't believe it's out yet. No. Okay, that's fine. Fair enough. Will that arrive before Skull and Bones? Skull and Bones isn't coming out. They're they're going to keep delaying it as a good luck charm because every time they delay well, they, it, they, they post did, record revenues. They did. They did. They did reboot <laughs> it. They did reboot it last year. Um, Skull and Bones. That's the reason why it's been delayed. They just started it again, basically. Um, sort of confirmed that really. Um, my other thought on all this is typically free-to-play means multiplayer because you are more likely to get you're more likely to get more players playing something and spending on something if they are playing against each other. That's just that just seems to be the nature of, of things. There are exceptions, obviously, you know, in, in the mobile space, things like Candy Crush and all that are very much single player games, but there's still like the social aspects where you help friends. But I think from a company like Ubisoft, they say free to play. I hear multiplayer. I hear, you know, I, I, I read this as this is going to be a free to play Rainbow Six, a free to play For Honor, a free to play um, Assassin's Creed, as we say. And I got, Assassin's Creed, maybe that's that's the uh, exception I draw. If they do, if they do a free to play Assassin's Creed that's like the Brotherhood uh, multiplayer that we haven't seen in years, perhaps decades, maybe I'll give that a go. But by and large, like I personally, I'm not, I'm not a massive multiplayer gamer. I'm not. And it kind of irritates me that 
I under I completely understand it, but it irritates me that more and more of the AAA space is focused on these multiplayer only or multiplayer centric titles because that's where the money is and that's where the bigger audiences are. And I find those those titles can be very difficult to get into. And as much as these titles could become entry points into um Ubisoft's big franchises, like a multiplayer only thing is not a good entry point. I I tried Rainbow Six Siege. I think it was a it was either an Xbox free weekend or it was on Game Pass or something. I downloaded it, installed it, I fired it up, had one go at a match, didn't have a clue what I was doing, died so many times or died so quickly, and I just deleted it instantly because there was no onboarding, there's no indication as to what you're meant to be doing. So there's a barrier there. Like as much as we're talking about like the you know, the theory is that they could reach new audiences. There's limits there, like that. Or the audiences would would hopefully be into multiplayer games. I just basically, I'm, I'm rambling here. You 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 are. I was I was just going to welcome you to the uh, old man yells at cloud club <laughs> because <laughs> like the I shall cease my yell. I shall cease my yelling. I basically I basically I I would be intrigued to see if they can do something here that caters for single or a lower number of players. Things like Genshin Impact. Genshin Impact you can play. As a single player, you can play it solo and still get a very good kind of AAA kind of experience without being fleeced, you know, for, for money throughout. Is my understanding. And certainly, that that was the limited experience I had with it. I'm hoping they go that route, that route rather than making more Rainbow Six Sieges. Yeah, that's that's the best we can hope for, uh, James, because I, I think the industry uh, has passed us by quite quite a while ago, <laughs> and we are just too trained on a very specific type of game. Uh, for for us to to not really find the differences in how the monetization models work now, just really really offensive. So uh, yeah, pull up a chair and then we'll yell at kids to get off our lawn. <laughs> I don't know. I think some games are. Um, I think I think the industry is trying to engage with older nostalgia game nostalgic gamers quite a bit. So I just saw it with Switch. Like Switch is really built for old people, right? Um, and um, and young kids. <laughs> I think there's just I think there's just less there's just not everything's built for us. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's definitely a, a a shift in perception when you're so used to absolutely everything catering to all of your specific needs and wants and and then all of a sudden they're like, "No, wait, there's there's other people that have money too. We should we should try and get their money." And you just feel betrayed. I think that speaks to the, you know, why those comments were made because I'm sure they took a look at the market like everyone has seen, you know, what's going on with Fortnite and other games that are, quote unquote, you know, free to play. And, you know, everyone wants a piece of the pie, as it were. Right. And why not? It's a much bigger pie. Right. Also this week, it was revealed that Sony has 25 first-party PS5 games in the works. This came from uh, an interview with PlayStation Worldwide Studios head Herman Holst, uh, who said that there are more than 25 PS5 games in development from first-party studios, and roughly half of those games are new intellectual properties. Now, I kind of wanted to touch touch on this for two reasons. One is that we have previously spoken in weeks, uh, in recent weeks, about reports have emerged that Sony are doubling down on this kind of AAA 
blockbuster, you know, Your Last of Us, your Ghost of Shimas, those sort of um, games. They're not doing Days Gone 2. We won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, that's, that's, the th- that's reportedly their strategy going forward. I also want to touch on this just for a bit of fun. Let's, let's, let's do some very rudimentary maths here. 25 first-party games are um, in the works. Let's say half, so let's say 12 or 13 are new IP. Let's go. Let's be generous and say 13. Let's say they're, they're branching out and doing a lot more new things. Can we name the 12 first-party PlayStation franchise that we think they are going to continue with? Okay, so it's Blasto to start, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Um, Siphon filler. <laughs> Fantavision. <laughs> is that one? Is that one? Ape Escape. See, this is where the older gamers are catered for in this market. <laughs> um, I could probably name eight, just not without even thinking. Um, God of War, Horizon, Ratchet and Clank, Uncharted, um, um, Gran Turismo, uh, Sackboy. Uh, Last of Us. <laughs> Last of Us, of course. Um, uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. That's a massive one. <laughs> Just miss, miss their most successful Ghost game. Ghost of Tsushima's got to get a sequel, right? Ghost of Tsushima's definitely yeah, Ghost of Tsushima, and then you probably, I don't know, Bloodborne 2, is that one? Is that going to be a thing? Um, it, infamous? I did wonder, Infamous. Do we think, like, the, the 25 first part, it's 25 games in development, so do you think that includes the ones that are currently in development? So like Ratchet and Clank, when this was said. Yeah. Like, okay, today we've seen that Ratchet and Clank has gone gold. Yeah. But, like, when this was said, like, right, that, that, so it's Ratchet and the ones we already know about, Ratchet and Clank, Horizon Forbidden West, Gran Turismo, never going to come out. Um, I don't, God of yeah, War. others. Oh, the new, the God of War sequel, there will definitely be another Spider-Man. I should have written all this down. Where's my pen? <laughs> I think we're at like eleven. We're at eleven. When we're pretty much there. Like, like it's probably. And I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Killzone. I don't know. Um, or even another dreams, Oof. like a dreams next gen version, or a, um, a sequel to uh, a sequel to that um, blood and Sto- uh, blood and thing game for um, PSVR. Blood and truth. Um, Astro. Oh, yeah. Astro can't be going anywhere, Dumb. right? <laughs> yeah, I forgot because. VR is going to get a few of them, anyways. Even if, even if we don't even think of those as actually counting. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like things like Blood and Truth or, or whatever else Sony's done. Yeah, I thought. Uh, what was the What was the the ocean one with the shark? Or was that just a tech demo? It was in. It was in. It was in. The, it was in the, the shark. It was that part of the. That was part of the plate. Yeah. Oh, I was PlayStation VR Worlds, wasn't it? It was in that one. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Do you think we can get like a Buzz revival? Is SingStar still going? I just want another rubber ducky tech demo. I miss those. <laughs> Have we calculated how powerful the PlayStation 5 is in terms of rubber ducks yet? Someone needs to get on that. Um, other reason I want to bring... I, I, so let's look at the other half, the um, the new IP. Now, obviously, we can't possibly guess what the new IP is because we wouldn't know. We're, we're not behind the scenes at Sony. But what do we think that they... What would you like to see from the from that other twelve to thirteen titles to broaden Sony's portfolio? We kind of did this with Nintendo a few weeks back as to what what new IP we'd like to see them making. What do we want to see from Sony? Because it feels like Sony's. I'm not going to say one note. That's far far harsher than I mean it. But almost all of Sony's first parties are aimed at that older, you know, the 1834 kind of mm-hmm. um, market. You know, your Last of Us, your Ghost of Shimmers, your Uncharted, like those sort of things. 
I'm trying to think. They've got Sackboy for their broader, mm-hmm. the, the for the broader audience. But I'm trying to think what Astrobot, Astrobot as well. What Ratchet is and Frank? Ratchet and Frank. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop talking, and you guys can finish the rest of this because clearly I'm mucking this up. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, a Fumito Ueda game, and yes, the uh, yeah. Jade Raymond Haven Studios game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that that's a, um, that'll be an Assassin's Creed type thing, right? Not to not to pigeonhole her. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she can do other things. I, I mean, we we never we never found out what she was working on at Stadia. Yeah, the the, the, the cloud based Assassin's Creed style game, and then the Star Wars uh, Assassin's Creed. No, I'm, I'm being unfair. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but and then there's that uh, that also probably Monster Studio that's doing the multiplayer game. That's probably going to be like Destiny. Um, there's that one. I think multiplayer is a thing. They don't do. They don't do multiplayer. It's, it's something they don't put. They, they've not put a lot of. They use. I mean, there's some technically Sapboy's four player and Gran Turismo will be multiplayer, but they've they've not really gone heavy in that world in the same way Microsoft have. Um, so um, something like something like that, I guess, um, is something I'd like to. I expect them to start doing more of, but then I've expected that for a while, um, and I've not delivered it. I don't know. Maybe like more whimsical family oriented stuff i mean yeah we have ratchet and clank but still like that's a lot of wanton destruction granted it's mostly of robots and like creatures that explode in goo but yeah it's a i don't know maybe 13 yeah yeah maybe more uh you know whimsical stuff because you know when james um and um everyone else was mentioning the games it's like a lot of this stuff is very you know, action film oriented, you'd write Uncharted, God of War, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, back to the point that James has made, there, there's more than those those kind of games that folks like to play, right? I, I would like to be surprised that we just watch a trailer for something, I don't know, maybe like a new detective thing. Mm. Folks really like that. Oh. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a hypothetical. So, so yeah, there probably the David Cage game in there somewhere, right? Um, um, right. It normally is everyone's favorite. He's a, he's independent, third party. They're, they they make games for all platforms now. Yeah, Sony's not. That's not part of their first party lineup. Fingers crossed. I think off the back of what Jeffrey just said about more family uh, fun games, I suppose maybe they should wake up. Um, oh God, was it Sucker Punch that did Sly Cooper? Yeah, Sly Cooper, and just. Bring back Sly Cooper. I'd like that. As long as it's better than their medieval efforts to re- resurrect that, um, what, two years ago? <laughs> um, mm. That was uh, not yeah. uh, great. <laughs> but, you know, they do have studios that do those sort of family-friendly titles. Like, I know London Studios' last game was the was an action title, but they tend to do, like, um, more family-related stuff. Media Molecule go down the sort of little bit more... Um, well, I guess Dreams is a bit broader but it seems like tear away and little bit planet and then <clears throat> and then you've got uh uh you know spider-man i'm uh, sorry insomniacs games they're, they're not kids games but they are they aren't a super violent um action well they are action games um either and yeah i mean ratchet and clank was always like the marketing for it was always about the guns yeah but <laughs> it, it felt to me mm-hmm. so, so you it's it's cartoonish and it's certainly not as violent as a lot of the other stuff out there 
but it's it's not quite yeah, you know, it, Mario, it, I don't think. It felt to me, yeah, Mario felt like Disney was Ratchet and Clank and stuff. It was like um, more like um, uh, Nickelodeon, I guess. It's, it's sort of maybe a little bit older. Um, but uh, I PlayStation, that's kind of PlayStation's audience. With Nintendo is the sort of ones that has the eight-year-olds. And, um, and so that's, I do understand them playing to that audience a bit, but... Um, I was going to throw in Jack and Daxter. Let's bring Jack and Daxter back. But even that, after the after, you know the second game onwards, suddenly that was kind of Ratchet and Clank style. Let's just give them guns. Yeah. yeah. I mean, part of the reason why I mentioned Ape Escape, I was partially joking, but it's like, you know, you're playing as a 12-year-old who's running around with gadgets, you know, capturing apes. And granted, the games are like, I don't know how old now, 15 years old. But yeah, I was just using it as an example, hopefully. Yeah, that would have been that would have been good. Maybe they should have not shut down their Japan studio in order to <laughs> make more. Like that's the thing with their their original IP. Like I I think back on a lot of stuff that was you know the quality wasn't always there. You you'd get like things like the medieval remake and Puppeteer had some kind of like oh that's neat, uh, but Loco Roco and Patapon and there was there was just such a wide variety of of stuff that they made and some of it was like brilliant and quirky and unique and tokyo jungle um and i i think that low-end experimentation is just gone there honestly if if we're talking about if we're talking about old playstation franchises that they are going to dust off and try and bring back I my my worry is that like siphon filter would be the most likely one to come back. Yeah, yeah probably is. Guess what? That was a Ben Studio game as well, wasn't it? The 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 well, the last one was I think was it? I can't remember now. Um, yeah, I guess the thing with Japan yes. Studios, and I love. I don't have. I I sort of got into PlayStation quite. You know, I, I missed the first two generations of PlayStation when everyone else got into it. So I've never quite had that connection with the Japan Studio. So when Japan Studio was said, you know, they weren't closing it, but they were scaling it back, and they were focusing on their um, their, their sort of ex-dev elements where they work with Bloodborne and, and Demon Souls and when they're w- keeping the teams behind the team behind the um, Astrobot games I thought well that's all right because that means they're basically closing the knack team and um, and that is that was that's an example isn't it of a family game that was that was dreadful um, Aww. Uh, <laughs> but I don't have that but when you when I hear what you talk about Brendan about those sort of um, those sort of classic Japan Studios um, titles, they, I, yeah, I missed all those. Um, I don't have that emotional connection to them. Um, but uh, I guess that's why everyone was so It upset. was the same kind of approach, I think, that gave us Journey, mm. that game company's stuff. Because, you know, it was, it was what, a group of students at a USC, and Sony was like, hey, here, we, we like what you're doing. Well, yeah, we'll support you. Even though at that time... <laughs> There really wasn't um, a market for like the the smaller downloadable only games, really. Like they had just the PS3 was out, and there was what Pixel Junk Racers and stuff. Um, and it, it wasn't wasn't at all like today, where you could even look at that and say like, yes, there is definitely a viable business here to be investing this money into. Uh, so like I. I think what what Sony is uh, doing and shifting more to the, the the higher end stuff. Like, I know there are still developers out there. I know there are still independent developers that are being supported by Sony um, with you know to bring things like young uh, young horses 
uh, bug snacks to market. But I, I still feel like we kind of just lost something by by having Sony's the the way Sony approached it was different from Microsoft and Nintendo during any phase of of those companies' existence and and you know that's that's something that it, it might not be you know rational but I still sort of like feel sad about the passing of that era. No, I think though it might become a thing, right? If if we move into a world where we're moving into some sort of subscription models and the platforms aren't the consoles, I mean, I know PlayStation doesn't think that's where we're going. But if we're heading in that direction, you know, PlayStation might regret not having these teams making sort of smaller, interesting titles that might, you know, keep people occupied and interested in between the big blockbusters. That's why Xbox is investing in it, because they need those games to keep people engaged in Game Pass beyond, you know, Halos and the Forzas and the Fables and the big games. Um, And PlayStation, if they're moving away from that, they're sort of relying on indies to do that for them. And and that's that's risky. Um, And... um, but that you know, they don't think we're heading in that direction, which is the reason why they're not investing in it. But um, we might see if they might regret that. Yeah, bring back Ape Escape. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Bring it back, please. Oh, if I had children right now, like I would tell them, yes, my child, this is a PlayStation game. I want you to have great memories. With. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Are you sure? I, I feel like this is not the last we've heard of your feelings, Ape Escape. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not. There's the story this week about, um, uh, I think, um, I can't remember, StockX talking about how they've had 140,000 or something. Um, uh, sold 140,000 PlayStation 5s and gamers are furious with those evil scalpers taking all of our talking all of the ps5 stock every time i do a tweet that talks about the charts data and i say playstation 5 wasn't number one this week or playstation 5 was number one this week you get the other audience come in and tell me why i'm wrong for saying something positive about a company so um uh, in march when i did the story about ps5 dominated march sales in the uk um, so many gamers told me that that's because 80 percent of sales are going to scalpers um which um, is not true. Um, uh, it's like even that 140,000 sounds like a lot, but it's 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 less than two percent of sales of PlayStation Five. Um, uh, five. Now that's admittedly not including eBay, but I did some calculations on the UK market because we know the obviously the UK numbers, and we've looked at the um, and the European numbers. In fact, I've not quite done the checks on the European um, auction sites, but in the UK, that number is about two between two and three percent. Um, of games consoles are being resold and that doesn't include games that are being relisted or consoles that are being relisted or um, that were sold to another scalping group they've gone and sold it on so it's not as severe as i i really i'm the thing of the scalping thing is it's causing such um, a lot of noise out there but i think it's a just you've got a lot of auction sites viewing this as great pr and you've got a lot of media that's enjoying um the anger and the traffic that that brings and um and i think it's overblown a little bit um so um yeah that's what's sort of going on in the scalping with the consoles it's a uh there's not a lot we can do about it so um <clears throat> it's just gonna keep rumbling on i suspect it is there really nothing that you know sony could do about that like you know i'm, I'm sure brandon he's gonna speak more to it but you know with 
direct sales to to prevent that kind of thing because the problem is that folks are trying but they're still coming up short with the consoles right and it just seems like this has been ongoing since you know the launch of the console and it hasn't really stopped unless i'm wrong it's, it's, um, it's exaggerated like it's it's we're talking two to three percent of console sales going to scalpers maybe a bit higher uh, it, okay but, but i know what you're saying um could PlayStation do a lottery system and only and track you know which pl- genuine PlayStation fans that are buying the console? Yeah, but then they lose their retail partners overnight, and they'd have no one to sell their games and consoles, and, and it's like that that's so important to them. Um, but also retailers are doing stuff. Like I spoke to a couple of retailers this week. I'm going to have an article early next week. I think about it, um, and um, they're all like particularly the specialists anyway. They're starting to manually check addresses to make sure that people aren't and and the one i spoke to a small retailer that's all been doing it for a while and because they're a small retailer they can they're seeing no evidence of like mass buying they're seeing evidence of you know they, they can't stop people buying the console and then selling it on you know individually but they're not seeing like somebody with a bot buying a hundred thousand consoles or well, not that they have that amount of stock um, but um, it, the problem is it's just hugely in demand it's just selling out um, there's just not enough stock. There's not enough se- semiconductors, and the only way you really solve this is by having enough stock in the market. This happens every. It doesn't matter if we're talking PlayStation Fives or Amiibo or gig tickets or anything where there's a limited supply and a, and a bit uh, that's outweighed by the demand. Um, so not outweighed, but the, the demand outweighs. Um, you're gonna get scalping. Um, and uh, it is not nobody likes it and everyone's a bit annoyed about it and it's particularly problematic for people with their consumer rights because you know who knows where you're buying from but the the um um you know, you can legislate for it, but legislation takes years. And, you know, it's really hard to legislate against what is basically capitalism. You know, somebody buying the stock, buying stock at one price and selling it at another. It's not, I it, it, mean, there is ways around that because they've done it in the UK around gig tickets. But it, it's not, it's not uh, easy. And, and um, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's just that by the time that we get to the point where play, I mean, Xbox are experimenting with some lottery model at the moment. By the time that sort of experiment's done and rolled out, we should be in a position where the consoles are relatively freely available. Um, <clears throat> and it's sort of, so it's just a sort of wait, matter of waiting it, I think. That's my feeling is, and talking to, you know, trade bodies and the retailers, it sort of is just a sort of, sort of be quiet about it. They're all trying stuff, um, typically the retailers, but they don't want to be seen to be saying they're trying all this stuff because they don't want to be seen to be goading the scalping groups. Um, so they're not necessarily willing to go on record about it, but they are They're doing stuff, whether it's manual checks or trying to shore up their automated systems a bit more and, and to try and stop it. I think it was definitely an issue at launch of the consoles. I think that particularly um, was what you got at the launch is everyone announced when they were going to put stock on sale. And that is where all of the scalping groups went, right, let's get together, let's get organised. Whereas um, nowadays, and I'm sure there's exceptions, but a lot of retailers don't announce when the stock's coming out. They're just sort of drop, shadow dropping them, as we would use the phrase, um, to try and stop that organisation, <clears throat> which is um, annoying annoying some fans, but that's the thinking behind it. Because all this is exacerbated as well by the the shortage of supply. Like this wouldn't feel as pronounced if... If, if you know if, if 2020 hadn't happened basically if the uh, pandemic hadn't impacted manufacturing the world over and if there had been plenty of stock in the channel the scalpers could have great give, you know taken two percent of all um units but everyone else would have been able to get their the console that they wanted so 
it wouldn't have been as noticeable. But when you've still got companies in their financials this week saying, you know, we're uncertain as to how, you know, when we're going to be get back on track in terms of production schedules, you know, we, we're still suffering from the semiconductor shortage or, you know, even Nintendo said like the, the, the Suez Canal blockage where that ship got stuck for days on end, like that has caused a massive backlog. Like the, the scalping is more noticeable because not everyone is able to, you know, scalping kind of happens on mo- on, on a lot of um, high-end products, you know, and, and high-demand products anyway. But you don't tend to notice it because everyone, by and large, gets what they want when they when they want it. But because there's a shortage already, it feels worse than it is. Yeah, and like one of the things is that's what's causing it as well. Like the thing is, I obviously track the sales data a lot. I look at it a lot, and when there's PS5s that come into the market. Lots of copies of Spider-Man sell. Like it seems to be, seems to be that's the game people want with their PS5. Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is great because it's my favourite game on, on PS5. Um, but it's um, it is um, uh, it, it, those get like, scalpers aren't scalping Spider-Man, right? So it suggests to me they are reaching consumers. I mean, I know technically scalping consoles reach consumers, but there's normally a delay because they're putting them on sale. But the spike of Spider-Man is always happens when coincides with the launch of the arrival of new PS5 stock. So um, they are reaching consumers. It's just, I think people are just, I mean, I spoke to one retailer, the same retailer I mentioned earlier, actually, and they said they get it every time they release stock and the stock goes in a second. Um, they get so many people, you know, criticise them for letting scalpers in. They said they weren't scalpers, at least not obviously. Um, and um, um, they just sort of have to take it a little bit because people are frustrated because there isn't enough stock. And that is ultimately what's, what the situation is, is there isn't enough stock and there isn't going to be for a while. Um, <clears throat> and uh, unless you want an Xbox Series S in the UK, in which case you could probably get hold of one. Anecdotally, does it seem like this problem is getting worse sort of across the board? Like I'm, I'm seeing people talk about Target and Walmart pulling trading cards like sports cards and Pokemon cards from the shelves because uh, apparently the prices on those have spiked recently. So now people are looking to hoard and and scalp them. And then I look at NFTs and I think that entire market is, is driven by the, the same mindset. Basically people want this. I buy it now. I jack up the price, sell it to someone else and and that's it it's not about the thing that they are buying at all it is just a commodity that they think they can pass on to someone else for for a profit and you know you might be right contribute basically nothing uh of value in 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 the meantime um you had you had it with um happy meal there's a pokemon cars were in happy meals and you had people turn up to mcdonald's and just ordering endless happy meals and trying to buy happy meal toys separately which you can do apparently i didn't realize you could and then you know mcdonald's this this offer's coming to the uk i think this month and they're having to put measures in place already to prevent people from mass buying happy meals and um just trying to take all of the the pokemon cards out of it um and are we seeing more more gambling in general um like maybe it's just because you know i'm in north america and the north american sports leagues have been uh increasingly since sports betting was uh legalized in the u.s the the sports leagues now are legitimizing it and bringing it inside uh the you know inside the arenas and and 
making it part of the thing in a, in a way it never was before. So the commercials on the games are are all about gambling. I, I I don't know. Maybe people are just across the board getting more desperate <laughs> to 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 get some you know get a, a a big payday in a in a time of unprecedented like financial precariousness yeah impossible i don't i don't know i mean i know it's happened for, it's been happening for years obviously you know pokemon cards used to cost a lot of money back when, I, when they first came out i remember and there was always rare collectibles yeah. and and then beanie babies has always been a thing for trainers yeah but i i don't you're right it does seem to be in the news a lot at the moment particularly around games i think it, maybe it's speaks to how popular games have been in the last year or two but um i don't know i need the data there's an element as well of it's it's one of the worst parts of human nature in that those who can will take like those those who can take more than they they need or or are owed will will take it so like it's not quite the same thing obviously but uh, you know, there've been images going around this week of um, there's apparently some sort of gas shortage in uh, sorry, sorry, petrol petrol shortage over in America, um, and you get pictures of people what? like load. Say again? No, that's a gas shortage. That's a gas shortage. Sorry, in America it's a gas shortage. Here it would be known as a petrol shortage. But either way, you have images of people with pickup trucks and barrels that they are filling at their local gas station slash petrol station. Um, you know, because you know they are either hoarding it for themselves or they're going to sell it on. You know, sell it on. When lockdown first hit here last year, like you know, as much as it it was somewhat exaggerated, you know, to an extent by the media and by social media, like I yeah, I would go shopping and there would be no toilet roll, no tins of baked beans, because people would just clear the shelves and take what they want. And like I said, it, it's not the same because those are those are, those are like, to an extent like necessities of life, food and fuel and. Um, toilet paper but pokemon cards like people are like right well i can take this it doesn't matter what you know whether i need it i can take it and i can make money off it and it's it's just an awful part of human nature and there's nothing we can that's a very defeatist well, bit. like it, there's, it's capitalism yeah isn't it i mean um people buy uh, um people buy stuff that people want and then sell it for more money than they bought it for um it is but i don't know i i the thing it does frustrate me a little bit when because it's just one of those things where, you know, what Nintendo, something else that I thought was quite cool is what Nintendo did with their limited edition Mario stuff. Except with the exception of Mario All-Stars, which they just stopped selling, um, was the, um, is that you had to be like a member of the club and you had to be, basically you had to be a proven fan to get hold of that stuff. They did the similar thing when they did those sort of limited edition new 3DSs. They were only made available to real fans and they actually contacted those fans directly and said, hey, do you want to pre-order one of these? And that's a way of sort of making sure that these products are going to the people you want them to go to. Because the thing is, Nintendo, I mean, it's, it's good. It's a great story when you see PS5s going on sale for $800. It's all, it makes PlayStation look like a super desirable product. But I don't think anyone at PlayStation really wants, that wasn't the aim. Um, they, they, they want fans playing this, getting excited, sharing their friends, taking pictures. And, um, and it, I think it would be good if there's a way of, you know, <laughs> uh, those credentials. But I guess it's just, you know, um, it's, yeah, I, it, I I get frustrated with it when I when something that I'd like and I can't get it, and then particularly with tickets, tickets for me when I used to go to gig tickets and I'd end up having to buy them off eBay for five times the price because somebody just bought them, and I'm glad that that doesn't happen anymore. But um, uh, yeah, 
swinging now. I'm just joining. I'm just I'm pulling. I'm grabbing one of those chairs, Brendan, and sitting. (laughs) (laughs) Sitting. There's plenty more room on this lawn. (laughs) That is all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Be sure to check your uh, feed on your podcasting platform of choice. We have on Friday we had the latest GI Live uh, session. It was with the Human Four Flat developer and publishers talking about that game success. Uh, And we've done two previous sessions. We've got another one for you on Friday. You can also find further down the feed the game developers playlist and the five games of episodes and you can get more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz get off our lawn (laughs) (laughs) welcome welcome to our lawn there's plenty of room